0: Please join me this morning in our prayer of illumination. Most powerful and gracious God, we come to you today asking that you give us the understanding of the words of scripture that are being read, as well as the ability to apply that understanding and knowledge to our lives as we go through the days ahead of us. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. First reading today is from the book of Psalms, chapter 139, verses 1 through 16. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind, and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me, become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for the darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance, In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them yet existed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Our New Testament lesson this morning is an Easter text. Traditionally, we read this on the day after Easter. But because our focus on this final day of the Questions to God series is on resurrection, it seems the best place for us to begin. So we will begin reading in the 24th chapter of Luke, verses 13 through 31. Listen now for the word of God to the church. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, "'What are you discussing with each other while you walk along?' They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? Jesus asked them, What things? And they replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them when he was at the table with them. He took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we conclude our Questions to God sermon series this morning, we turn to the question of what happens to us when we die? Specifically the question we received was this, will we be reunited with our families and friends in heaven? From classics like Virgil's Aeneid, Dante's Divine Comedy and John Milton's Paradise Lost to the Puritan journey of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress and then on up to the more modern but less classical left behind novels, The human imagination has always tried to fill in the blanks about the afterlife. That has been the case because the Bible leaves much to the imagination, giving us very few actual descriptions. What we do get in the Bible are images that tend to be highly metaphorical and that they do not present themselves as literal descriptions of heaven. In the Bible, clouds are symbols of God's presence. Gold is an indicator of high quality and honor, and a throne symbolizes the sovereignty of God. So while we might imagine heaven as a cloud city with streets of gold and a big throne in the middle, I am more in line with theologian Shirley Guthrie, who warns us not to let our imaginations get ahead of us, We would do well to follow the examples of the writers of the New Testament, Guthrie writes. Where the Bible is silent, we ought not ask too many questions or claim that we have too many answers. Our best response to questions in this area is often, I don't know, and we don't need to know. Now, while that is the best and most honest answer to the question posed It makes for a very short sermon. Even more problematically, such an answer standing alone does not speak to the real longing and pain behind the question. It's been my experience that anyone who has been heartbroken by a painful loss wants to believe that whatever heaven may have in store for us, one thing we can look forward to is being reunited with the people we have truly loved in this earthly life. As one unknown author once wrote, As a boy, I thought of heaven as a city with domes, spires, and beautiful streets inhabited by angels. By and by, my little brother died. And I thought of heaven much as before, but with one inhabitant that I knew— then another died, and then some of my acquaintances. So in time I began to think of heaven as containing several people that I knew, but it was not until one of my own little children died that I began to think I had treasure in heaven myself. Because we as Christian people are not storing up treasures for ourselves on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, because we set our minds on the treasures stored in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal, because so many of us know that a great share of our hearts is in storage with those treasures stored up in heaven. This sermon will attempt to go a bit beyond the answer I don't know. So what follows is my faulty and limited attempt to say a few things that we do know, at least in part. The first thing is this, I don't know what will be in heaven, but I know that we will be ourselves. In our scripture lesson this morning, two disciples are walking the road to Emmaus. It is still Easter Sunday, and the two men are clearly shell-shocked by the events of the past weekend. They were followers of Jesus. They knew Jesus, and they had heard of the death of Jesus, or perhaps even witnessed his death firsthand. And maybe it was grief Maybe it was fatigue, but for some reason, when the risen Jesus sauntered up to them on the road, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He was right beside them, and they did not know who he was. However, as they continued to walk with him, as he talked and opened the scriptures to them, and finally when he broke bread with them, their eyes were opened And they recognized him. This is one of those places where the original Greek deepens our understanding of what is really going on in this moment. The Greek verb epigenosko means to recognize or to know exactly, but it assumes the kind of knowledge that only comes through experience. In other words, it's not the kind of recognition that may come to you when you read a name tag on someone you are meeting for the first time and conclude that this must be the person you've been told about. It is rather a recognition that only comes when you have known someone over time. The way that you would recognize a friend who is doing that thing that he always does or a parent that is giving you that look that you've seen a thousand times, it is how you might know that the person just coming into view on the horizon must be your child because of the distinctive way he or she is walking. These two men knew and ultimately recognized Jesus not because of what their eyes were telling them alone, but because of what their hearts and their memories were telling them. That is the kind of recognition that we're talking about. And the point, of course, is this. Because Jesus was clearly the same Jesus, both before death and after death, we have good reason to believe that we we too will be ourselves after death and that our loved ones will be the same as well. We have good reason to believe that in heaven, we will both recognize and be recognized by those people we have known and loved in this lifetime. The second thing we can say about heaven this morning is this, I don't know what will be, but I do know that we will be more Christ-like. As we are told in the first epistle of John, beloved, we are God's children now. Now, what we will be has not yet been revealed, but what we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. I think this promise aligns with what most of us think and assume about heaven, that even if we are ourselves after death, we will also be a little bit better than ourselves. Somehow the scars and the failings of this life will be scrubbed away and refashioned into something even more beautiful. In one of his more wistful and creative moments, Benjamin Franklin decided to write his own epitaph, to jest about the words that might be written about him on his own tombstone. And this is what he came up with. The body of B. Franklin printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding lies here, Food for Worms, but the work shall not be wholly lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. This also seems to be something we can say with some assurance that in heaven we will be that same old book that we always were but that somehow we will be a new and more perfect edition of ourselves, more peaceful, more contented, more righteous, more Christ-like, more like the truest version of ourselves. And because in our best and truest version of ourselves, we were built to be in relationship with other people, I think we can also expect our relationships to be the same. That they too will be corrected, amended, and republished with joy by God the Divine Author. The next thing we can say with some certainty is this I don't know what will be, but I know we will be in community. As we are told in the book of Revelation, John of Patmos is given a vision of a new heaven and a new earth. And what he saw was a city, the holy city as he called it, a new Jerusalem. Heaven was, in that vision, a place where God and humanity live together and Paul who clearly saw things the same way told the Philippian church the same that we have a citizenship in heaven that somehow we will be participants in this heavenly community and the good news is that our destiny is not to be sent off to our own private cloud to wait out eternity in isolation and idleness Instead, the life of heaven, especially in Revelation, is described as a hub of activity, a state of perpetual worship. Now, I will admit that this may not sound like news that is purely good. Perpetual church. Now, you might be like that new Christian who knocked sheepishly on his pastor's door one morning and said, Pastor, you know this eternal life that I now have. Well, I've been thinking about it a little bit. What are we going to do all day long in eternity? Well, we will praise the Lord, the pastor replied. Forever, the man asked. Like for 10 million years, we're going to stand around and praise the Lord. Well, yes, the pastor said. And after a long pause, this newly baptized man asked, Couldn't we just stop now and then and mess around for a little while? I actually think this man was closer to the truth than the pastor. While church, let's just admit, can occasionally be a little bit boring, it seems that heaven will not be because there will be the best version of ourselves in that place, and that those we love will be the best version of themselves. We will likely interact in the heavenly city in productive, fulfilling, engaging ways, and I have to think that that kind of engagement will include plenty of fun and messing around from time to time. As we look out over the world as we know it today, there is great comfort in knowing that life in the heavenly city will also be corrected, amended, restored, and reborn to the point that we can also say, I don't know what will be, but I know that we will feel no pain and no sorrow. I think this point needs no real elaboration, only to say that those who are mourning the tragic loss of loved ones to COVID-19 and other ailments, for those who are separated from ailing parents and children by restrictions that are requiring social and physical distance, for those who continue to be targeted, maligned and disrespected because of the color of their skin, those who are pained by the polarization and hatred that marks much too much of our political life. All of these people are assured that God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who sits in power in that heavenly city will make all things new. In light of all these scriptural promises, we can return now to the original answer to the question of heaven, which remains the best one. When it comes to heaven, there is much we do not know, but we don't need to know. And the reason we don't need to know is that while we do not yet know everything there is to know about heaven, we do know the most important thing about heaven we do know the nature and character of God. There's an old story that has made the rounds in the church for a long time, in which a doctor gets a call in the middle of the night that one of his patients, a man stricken with a terminal disease is nearing the end. The doctor grabs his bag and he heads over to the man's house The doctor is no priest or prophet, but he is the closest thing that this dying man has. Please, doctor, the man says, tell me something about the place where I am about to go. The doctor felt completely inadequate to speak to such a pained and desperate question, but he was saved when he heard a scratching sound at the bedroom door. And God used that sound to give him the perfect words for that moment. Do you hear that? The doctor asked. That is my dog. I brought him with me tonight and I left him downstairs, but he has clearly grown impatient. And he has found his way up the stairs because he heard my voice. He has no idea what is going on in this room He knows nothing of what lies behind that door. All he knows is that I am here. Isn't the same thing true with you, the doctor said. You may not know what lies beyond the threshold that you are about to pass. You do not really know what lies behind heaven's door, but you do know that your master is there. May we too be guided by that voice and may we too have that kind of trust in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.